Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The U.S. Supreme Court ruling that eliminates racial considerations in college admissions has potential implications for a federal program designed to hire minority contractors. A recent federal judge's decision adds an additional hurdle for potential Native contractors. Native small business advocates worry it's the start of what could be the end of the program that helps diversify federal contracts. We'll hear where businesses stand with the new ruling and what they're doing to prepare for what's next. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. On the Nez Perce Reservation in north-central Idaho, wildfire smoke often pollutes the air. It can also seep into homes, so the tribe is handing out about 250 air cleaners to elders and others with health problems. Rachel Cohen of the Mountain West News Bureau reports. On a recent Thursday, John Abulafentis of the tribe's air quality department was off to set up one of the air cleaners. She stopped in at the apartment of Elder Florine Davis. Did I turn it off? Nope. It's that you have it on low now. Davis is 91. She mentors kids and college students in Nimi Putimt, the Nez Perce language. You'll be like a young girl, hair flying through your hair. <laughs> Davis says earlier this summer, she was traveling to a doctor's appointment in Washington state. Smoke was drifting down from British Columbia. We could feel it. Notice in the air was a little... Uh, more heavy. This Nespers program is innovative and aims to protect people from wildfire smoke indoors. Aaron McTeague with the EPA says tribal efforts like this are being replicated elsewhere. Some of these reservations are highly impacted by smoke, um, have lots of forested land that they're trying to manage, have a lot of vulnerable individuals. And moving away is not an option. Whether people like it or not, this is this is our home. Aaron Miles is the director of natural resources for the Nez Perce tribe, which was forcibly removed off most of its homelands. He says the U.S. government has an obligation to ensure clean air for the tribe. At the same time, the tribal government does everything it, it, it can to protect our people. That includes programs like this one to ensure indoor spaces are healthy. It's been smoky a few times since the air purifier has been running in Davis's living room. She's noticed its button turn red as it's detected poor air quality and then started running its fans more intensely. She's glad to have it with her, keeping the air clean. I'm Rachel Cohen. More processing and tribal meat inspection. That's what officials who are tasked with getting bison into Native communities say are needed in the next farm bill. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger has more. Troy Heinert is the executive director of the Intertribal Buffalo Council. He says tribal entities need to be a part of the farm bill conversation. You know, oftentimes we're either an afterthought or we're completely neglected in, in some of those decisions. Heinert says that's shifting. The former South Dakota Democratic state lawmaker says he's seeing federal farm bill language getting drafted to help meet the needs for buffalo processing. There's such a bottleneck in processing anyway, and then when you start talking tribes and rural nature, and then uh, then buffalo on top of it, 
you know, those processing capabilities drop off even further. The group works with 83 tribes across 22 states that manage over 25,000 buffalo. They expect to have relocated over 5,000 surplus buffalo to tribes in the last three years. Heinert, who is Suchango Lakota from Rosebud, says tribes are asking the USDA to work with them on meat inspection as well. There's no processing and there's definitely no inspectors. So why shouldn't we be able to train our own people to inspect uh, tribal meat or tribal produced meat and then for distribution to either our tribal membership or put it on the retail market if that's what the tribe chooses to do. Many expect the current farm bill to get extended. South Dakota's U.S. senators hope a new farm bill will get passed by the end of the year. However, Congress must craft a budget by September 30th to avert a government shutdown. I'm Lee Strubinger. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education sovereignty, it begins with us. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A federal judge's decision creates potential hurdles for Native and other minority business owners. The recent decision challenges a provision of a small business administration program that equates race with social disadvantage. For 50 years, the SBA 8A program has provided government contract preferences for Native business owners. But the future of that program is in question. A Tennessee federal judge's decision parallels the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in June it denies race-conscious college admissions. It requires minority contractors to detail how they are specifically disadvantaged. Today on our show, we'll talk with Native business owners and experts about federal support for Native business. For any Native entrepreneurs listening to the show, do you qualify for the SBA 8A program? As a Native business owner, what hurdles hinder your efforts to expand and grow your business? Join the conversation by calling one 800 996-2848. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Call us. Let us know what you think, what your thoughts are on this recent announcement regarding the SBA 8A program. Let's go ahead and meet our guests now. Joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico is Stephanie Poston. She is the CEO and president of Poston & Associates, LLC. She's also a member of Sandia Pueblo and she was recently recognized with the honor of being noted as one of Forbes' 50 over 50 list of impact. Steph, welcome back to Interactive America Calling, and congratulations on that award. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward yeah. to the discussion today. You bet. Absolutely. 
Also joining us today from Winnebago, Nebraska, is Annette Hamilton. She is the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Ho-Chunk, Inc. And she's a member of the Kickapoo Tribe of Kansas. Annette, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you, Sean. I'm glad to join. Absolutely. And just a quick disclaimer, Ho-Chunk, Inc. is an underwriter for Native America Calling. Well, Steph, I'd like to begin with you, and I know that you are not an 8A firm, but you do a lot of work with 8A firms, native 8A firms, and uh, this change here, it's making a a lot of waves with regard to to people that could potentially be applying for 8A certification coming up pretty soon. What are you hearing there from from partners and and other business owners that you work with? Are, Are they concerned, and if so, to what degree? Yeah, I think the conversation mostly is this is an interesting time for the 8A, right? It was a set-aside designated to support um, uh, Native-owned companies with an opportunity uh, to, to put their foot in the door with government contracting. Um, so these are definitely interesting times. I think a lot of people are really watching, um, and we you know, hope that SBA gets out there and really hears from the tribally owned and uh, Native-owned 8A companies to make sure that all the aspects are represented and thoroughly thought out. So, yeah. Well, this recent decision, it doesn't end the tribal contractor preference, but it, it does uh, put the burden on an applicant to write this essay or a narrative of some sort that documents specific disadvantage to qualify for a federal contract. So, um why is this such a big deal, Steph? I mean, write the letter, explain what your background is. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, perhaps, to some people listening. What's your thought? I mean, I think that could be helpful because, you know, there's some folks um, who really have um, benefited and really work their way up from the trenches and can easily narrate or tell that story. Um, but it'll be interesting to hear what the obstacles might be um, in in writing that narrative to ensure that folks are are eligible. So, you know, I'm going to be interested to hear um, what the other guest uh, panelist says about what the pros and cons might be. And Steph, what's your perception regarding disparities for Native entrepreneurs? I mean, just speaking from experience, how much harder do you think it is for you as a Native woman as opposed to somebody else when it comes to to starting and growing a small business? Yeah, I I can say personally, like currently I'm a HUBZone certified um, and also woman-owned small business certified inside the um, SAMs and SBA programs, et cetera. Those programs I know are, for me as a small business owner, are extremely taxing to have the back of house to produce the documentation they require to be a part of the programs. I mean, it, it's been pretty exhausting for me. And so having a little bit more opportunity and a little bit more, um, those set-asides are helpful, but it has been uh, very taxing to my company to even keep up with those two basic programs. I mean, large corporations who, who uh, successfully get big contracts, have a big machine on the back of house who can easily respond to these uh, government contracts and requirements. But 
to small business owners, it's incredibly taxing to our systems, especially if you're the one out there doing the work. You have to be able to invest in somebody who helps you put applications together and then helps you track what's out there and available to your company. I've heard other entrepreneurs say the same thing. It's time spent, it's time that you could be devoted to, to building your business and going out and networking and getting down to here you are, you're burdened down with paperwork to, to make sure that you qualify and your applications and all your documents and everything like that are complete. So, I mean, I want to ask you stuff. I mean, why is it that you're not 8A certified? Because you, I mean, you'd be a likely candidate, right? You, you check all the boxes if you wanted to, to apply for it. Yeah, and so I've gone through the initial application, and my application was um, not accepted. And so I, you know, I've just put that on the back burner, and we'll revisit it another time just because it was so taxing to get through it. So I've just decided, given where my business stands, is to put it on the back burner and revisit it at another time. I, it's just having the, the company bandwidth to respond um to why it was not accepted is is just not a priority for me at this time, given the work that I have in front of me. And can you share why that was that you weren't accepted as an 8A contractor? Yeah, it's been about a year and a half, so I don't remember all the intricacies of it, but um, I'm, I'm sure they needed more paperwork to support the paperwork I sent in. So, yeah. So just the paper trail, it sounds like, and again, just all that legwork and all the details. And Steph, the 8A program, it's been around 50 some years. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been around so long. And, and, and one of the criticisms that you'll hear about often is people will say, well, look, you know, some white person will come along and, and they'll hire a native person or they'll go into business with a native person and they'll set them up as like a front person with 51% ownership of the company. But but it's the, the white person in the background. They're the one making all the decisions. They're the one pretty much running the business. The native person is just a front. And you hear stories like this, and uh, it, it really reflects poorly on the whole program because it just sounds like they're just kind of scamming the program, and it's still ultimately benefiting non-natives. Do you, do you hear that as well in, in the circles that you run in? I hear some of that, but also that, you know, I've been thinking about strategic partnerships. Like if I'm not able to to pull it off on the back of house for all the paperwork and all the the history that you have to show for performance, like who can I strategically partner with and still have uh, a lot of say in the work that comes down, the work that we apply to, but how do you use that strategically? I think um, there's, two sides to every um, situation and that just whoever that business owner is that they're really careful and that they find a really uh, trustworthy, uh, reliable, strategic partner if that's the direction they choose to go. The other issue here, and I think the bigger concern in a lot of people's mind is that right now it's just, okay, they're going to add this additional task to the application in terms of documenting some type of of disparity or disadvantage but i think a lot of people are worried that ultimately this could lead to a full dismantling of the 8a program in which case this program would no longer serve the needs of native entrepreneurs do you you think that's possible how worried are you in, in the future that that could happen i mean it just depends on administrations right like what what's what what 
do federal administrations have in mind when they're taking these sort of steps? Or um, I, I'm sure that that could be a possibility out there. And, and what what are we doing boots on the ground to prepare for that or to even provide um, good arguments against it that that should not take place? Right, right. And then the ripple effects, like some of these other types of initiatives and programs like, like that you do participate in. I mean, are you concerned that those programs as well could potentially be at risk now? I mean, sometimes you see a pattern in that when one, one thing starts to go, other things start to go. Um, I, I think I'm aware and we'll keep an eye on it. Um, but it, it's, you'll start to notice patterns if, if that's the case. And again, I say that really depends on administrations and um, where things are leaning. Right, right. Well, Steph, thanks for kicking us off today. Stephanie Poston, CEO and president of Poston and Associates LLC, and also a member of the Forbes 50 over 50 impact list, which is quite, quite an honor here to uh, celebrate uh, a little bit here with Stephanie posting on that accomplishment. We're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk more uh, about these updates to the SBA 8A program. We've got a caller to take, and we've got another guest. And anybody else who is listening, maybe you are an 8A contractor, you have some experience with the 8A program, we'd really love to hear your thoughts. Do you think it's a good program? Do you think it serves the needs of Native entrepreneurs? Or do you think there are some glitches there? Do you think there are some problems? Do you think there are some things that could be improved in the program? If so, we'd like to hear those thoughts as well. So give us a call. Phone lines are open. 1-800-996-2848. The latest suicide statistics are worrisome, especially for Native Americans. Numerous studies show an increase in suicides and suicidal thoughts and suicide affects Native Americans at a rate much higher than the general population. We'll look at the causes behind the numbers and how experts are working on new solutions. That's on the next Native America Calling. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed, and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is, enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about a program that offers federal support for Native businesses by giving them preference for some government contracts. Are you an 8A business? Tell us about your experience and join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we've got a caller on the line right now, George, who's listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley. And Hello, George. I understand you've done some 8A contracting back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to call in and, you know, I'll offer a little historical context. And, and um, um, we started, I started a company in Seattle, Washington, uh, back in, I think it was 1974, 75. Um, and 
you know, I started the whole company with, like, we had like 500 bucks and a carpet stretching tools and a van. And, and we took it, uh, started a floor covering business. And right away I signed up for the 8A program because I kept up on stuff like that. And one of my friends, a black guy, was uh, the head of the SBA office there for minority contracting. So uh, I got my 8A clearance, like, pretty quick. I, I got political with it, and I, you know, pulled some whatever strength I could get a hold of, you know. But uh, I wanted to say that historically the uh, 8A program has always had tremendous resistance, and, and primarily from the private sector. Um and I set up a little marketing program to get my my company going, and and I focused on uh, friendly companies like Sears, Roebuck. You know, we laid a lot of carpet for them and floor floor covering, you know, vinyl and tile and carpet and stuff. And um, but I focused primarily on on that for uh, for cash flow, you know, to keep the business going. Well, I did, you know, because the government when you when you eat with a lot of companies and, and the government especially they're real slow at paying you you know right um, right but i was lucky in in the seattle area in that region eight or whatever it was for sba we had uh we had uh port lewis at port lawton uh, the air force base mccord and uh, you know does a couple dozen installations up there that were federal and, and uh okay and we got we got okay. uh, quite a bit of work out of them but Historically, well, I wanted to say real quick, you know, I went to see Bill Boeing, who was the head of Boeing Corporation, and when we first got 88 status, and I wanted to get him with Boeing uh, to do some of their airliners and stuff, because and, it pays well, you know. And I'm telling you, the guy looked at me like I was a piece of crap sitting in front of him, and he hated the, even the concept of 88s. We had an honest talk about it, and he just said that we should come up by our boot strings and all that, you know, our boot really? straps and yeah, he was so, evil about it, you know. But okay, so I, Bill Boeing, this is one of the the original Boeing family members that started the huge aerospace conglomerate that we know of as as Boeing today. Yeah, and that was in 1975. So wow. we're talking about 50 years ago, you know, okay. almost. So, well, George, uh, let me let I, me I'm ask. Retired. I no longer have. Huh? Let me ask you this, George. I mean, if you reflect back on those early days, 1974. Do you think your business would have would have made it if you didn't have that eight A preference uh, to go after some of these contracts? How, how vital was it in your success? Extremely vital. There was no way that uh, that we could have got off. Like I said, I had five hundred dollars, and my buddy had a carpet laying tools. That's why we decided on that business, and he'd laid carpet in the uh, San Francisco area. And he was real good, you know. So we just sat around the table when we was talking about how can we you know, help provide jobs for, for our friend, friends and family primarily, you know, because they were living mm -hmm. off of us. And, and, <laughs> and we thought, hell, we might as well start a business and get them working, you know. Uh, and we well, thought about it, and, and, and I knew about the 8A program because I belonged to the minority uh, business community uh, in Seattle there. I, I stayed close to it. I was active in it. So I knew about the 8A, and I said, well, let's just do this, you know. And all we had, like I said, was a 500 bucks in a van and some tools, you know. Okay. Well, so George, if it hadn't how, been for 8A, we wouldn't. Yeah, no, it sounds like it, it's, it all worked out really well for you. How big did the business grow? How many employees did you have at, at, at your peak? And, and then ultimately, what happened to the business? Did you close it? Did you sell it? What did you do? 
Well, I got tired of it, but at, at, I guess at our peak, we had like we was working in like five states. We was working in Alaska and Seattle and Oregon and uh, Montana, and you know we were spread out and and you know uh, mostly doing federal jobs. You know the federal courthouse in Oregon, Portland. We did that. We did uh, some private sector work too at Seattle, uh, remodeling some areas in, in uh, Pioneer Square. You know, on the street revitalizing that area mm-hmm. uh, a lot of military stuff fort lewis fort or uh, fort uh, McCord, mccord air force base uh, right on. Um, just a lot of stuff and we got pretty big i think we was doing uh, a million and a half a year or something like that um, and we would have got bigger but i wasn't in my plan you know i i did it like i said just to help feed my family and friends you know uh, we had a lot of people coming to seattle indians and and they <clears throat> You know, they, they couldn't get jobs, and and my partner was Bill Vitalis, and, and uh, he just passed away a week or so ago, but he took over. I, I left the business in 1980, and I started Nations Magazine, a Native American magazine, um, and I took my money out of the company to start Nations, and, and Bill kept uh, uh, North American floor covering going, but he changed it to North American Eagle, North American okay. Eagle. And uh, and he kept it going up until his health started failing, you know. So the business lasted for about 40 years, uh, wow. 50-something years. Okay. Uh, it was a very viable business, but if it wasn't for 8A, it would not have happened. Okay. But well, I- George, this sounds – what you're describing sounds exactly what the 8A program is supposed to do. It, it gave you and your partner the opportunity to run a successful business. You were able to employ other native people who needed jobs. So this sounds like just a a win-win in that case. And so when you hear now that there's this move to change how the application process works and and for native applicants, individual applicants to document uh, a disadvantage, display some kind of narrative, how does that make you feel? Do you think that's fair? Do you think that's that's okay to do that, or, or does that disappoint you? What's your thought? Well, I think it's it's I think it's silly in the first place, but that's not new, to be honest with you. We had to do that. It was just a justification in order to qualify for eight eight. We had to write up a disadvantage statement. Why are you disadvantaged? You know, and and uh, and me as a you know I, you know I've been to college and I've been in business in the private sector. Uh, as a as a financial management uh, person, a controller, and business manager for some big corporations, and I had a lot of skills, but a lot of our people didn't have that, and uh, and so you know I think the statement itself, I'm not familiar with the with this new uh, law or, or addition to the 8A, but I remember having to write a justification when we qualified for 8A, which was extensive. I think they wanted like 800 words or something like that back then, and that was in 74, 75. And it's easy to write for me because I was a professional wordsmith kind of, you know. Um, <laughs> but I imagine it would be tough for someone, a carpenter, uh, someone that hadn't uh, had the, uh, the, you know, the ability to do narratives, you know, mm-hmm. um, an essay style, you know. But I, I don't see it as a hindrance. I see it as it's kind of silly. And also, you know, keep in mind that. Uh, there's there's a number of organizations. There's they, a lot of them came out of the Northwest because we were pretty progressive up there. But uh, the National Center for Indian Economic Development, you know, and, and um, Portland had NARA, I think, the Native American something um, that was 
<clears throat> came out of a uh, social and economic development organization in Portland. And in Seattle, we had United Indians. And we had different organizations that provided a lot of technical assistance. And, and SBA provides really good technical assistance to their retired uh, their program where they use retired business people that volunteer to provide technical assistance and business advice for startups and for people that need it, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't see it as a, a really horrible thing, but I see it as pretty silly, you know. Like, uh, if you're okay. a minority, if you have, the, you know, the, the certifications, then you should be eligible. Well, George, I really appreciate you calling in today. And uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of history there. And uh, really appreciate you sharing all of your experience. And, uh, and again, uh, congratulations on your success there with the business that you owned. That's George, who was calling in from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. He was listening on Keeley. And uh, let's go back to Steph Poston now. And Steph, I, I want to ask you, uh, before we bring in Annette to the conversation, tell us a little bit more about the Forbes 50 over 50 impact list. And again, how you were selected and, and, and what your business is all about. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for um, the shout out. Appreciate it. Uh, it is quite a surprise. I'm, I'm still um, absorbing it and understanding it. And actually, I want to understand it better because I'm not sure how that came to be. I'm not sure that there was who nominated me. But the bigger picture is like, how do we uh, ensure that other Native women have this opportunity as well? So I've been talking to some folks about how we um, open that door and because there's some amazing uh native women out there doing incredible work across the board and deserve this so much and so how do we understand that so i'm looking to understand it and uh head up to i i hope to head up to a reception in new york and connect with some of the other um awardees and try to understand what that process is to open the doors um but super excited. My business is a Native woman-owned public relations and communications firm. I specialize in tribal engagement, strategic planning, um, some event planning. So, I, you know, I started dabbling in my own business in 2002 and went full force in May 2004. And um, it's just never looked back. A, a lot of my work is repeat business or referrals, and I, I've been really blessed and thankful to all my clients who have hired me and entrusted me um, with the work, really important work and really heartfelt work. And um, it's been an amazing journey and I, I'm just so thankful. Well, Steph, congratulations again. I really appreciate you joining us. And it's funny how you, you, you say, I don't know who nominated me. Isn't that kind of always how it works with some of those big awards? Like you never know like who nominates who. You just get these awards. Like when we got that Humanities Medal here at Native American Calling, we have no idea who nominated us. And we were all wondering, like, how did that happen? Who, who thought so much of us to do that? So super exciting, Steph. And, uh, and we'll be watching. Hey, how about you come back to the show after you go to that award ceremony and tell us more about it? You bet, you bet. And I just wanted to give a shout out to George. Like, he has a true understanding of working through the process. I was like nodding my head in agreement um, about all like that he was advising. A lot of great insight. Um, being early in that eight A, um, and and I, I appreciate that insight. R- really great information. 
I do too. Yeah, right there in the early days and just uh, was really able to give us a, a lot of background on the program. So, all right, Steph, thanks again for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and, and pivot now to Annette Hamilton, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Ho-Chunk, Inc. And Annette, again, thank you for joining us. And uh, tell us a little bit more. How does Ho-Chunk, Inc., and by extension, the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska, benefit from the 8A program? Certainly, and um, thank you for having me on the show, and congratulations to Stephanie Post and Wanda Honor for the, the Forbes 50 over 50 impact list. Um, and I hope she does um, find out and get more Native Native, Native women win, win in that award. Um, so so the, it, it has been extremely impactful to the Winnebago tribe. So Ho-Chunk Inc., we're the Economic Development Corporation for the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska. We are 100% owned by the tribe. We are run as a for-profit company, but we also invest back into the community. So part of our profits go back to the tribe as a dividend, but we're also able um, through our board of directors um, to reinvest our profits back into the community. So we have reinvested and um, early on, into our 8A days and when we were a um, much younger company, we partnered with a nonprofit and bought some land and invested in the Ho-Chunk Village with the vision and um, um, I guess goal of creating home ownership on the Winnebago Reservation and, and really lifting up people out of poverty, the Winnebago tribal members out of poverty and into um, middle-class income. And we are just completing our, our latest economic impact study. And once we roll those out, we finalize those numbers, the preliminary numbers, is we've made tremendous progress in, in that direction. There's always still work to be done. You can't live um, in poverty for generations and generations. It takes generations to get to, to overcome obstacles uh, that have been placed in front of us, but it is making a difference. Now, Annette, what you folks have going on there with the uh, Ho-Chunk Incorporated is, is a tribal entity-based type of 8A firm. Now, earlier we heard from George who called in, and he was also an 8A firm, but he was an individual entrepreneur. He was just a Native person who started his own business. So, uh, your business is structured differently, uh, quite a bit larger, perhaps, and there's a lot of other Native organizations, Alaska Native corporations, Native Hawaiian organizations, who are also 8A firms. And how is that approach different when the owner of the firm is an entity such as Ho-Chunk Inc., as opposed to just a Native person who wants to start a small business? So, <clears throat> excuse me, in back when they carved out this special section um, 8A of the Small Business Act. They, they, they specified that the small business um, has the authority to acquire contracts and arrange for performance of these contracts by small businesses. And in that performance of those contracts, um, they, could, they, could, they could perform them if they met two criteria socially disadvantaged and economic disadvantage for the small business owners. 
And in that first criteria, the tribally owned businesses were set out into the law um, back in, in um, 1986. And so tribes that were tribally owned, and I believe the Alaska Native corporations were written into that law. And, and then the other part of that law explained for the social disadvantage that they had to, they had to, they they had to have a rebuttable presumption of social disadvantage, and there were three criteria that they could um, prove social disadvantage was rooted in the treatment of the individual experienced in general society, and it's chronic and substantial, and that it negatively impacts that individual in advancement of the business world. And and then we all have to prove economic disadvantage. So okay. tribes are already. Right. Annette, going we're going to have to take take a short break here, but uh, when we come back, I'm going to go ahead and let you finish that because that's a, a really important distinction: uh, social disadvantage versus economic disadvantage. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Education sovereignty. It begins with us. That's the theme of the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show to be held in Albuquerque October 18th through the 21st. You have an important role to play in the ongoing effort to reclaim education sovereignty. The agenda includes an educator day, a student day, professional learning opportunities, and the NIEA awards ceremony. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Plenty of time to join this conversation about the SBA 8A program, a program that opens up federal contracting for Native people and other socially and economically disadvantaged groups. Do you think it's fair that Native 8A applicants are faced with the additional task of submitting a narrative that documents how they are disadvantaged? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. On the line now is Annette Hamilton with Ho-Chunk, Inc. in Winnebago, Nebraska. And Annette, before break, you were uh, explaining the difference there between economic disadvantage and social disadvantage because uh, both factors can be used to qualify an 8A firm, correct? Uh, so both factors are required and to... to um qualified to be an 8A firm. You have to prove social disadvantage and economic disadvantage. Okay, okay. And uh, for an individual, for a small business owner, uh, must be 51% owned by U.S. citizens who are socially and economically disadvantaged. Economic disadvantage is defined as having a personal net worth of $850,000 or less, an adjusted gross income of $400,000 or less, and assets totaling $6.5 million or less. Social disadvantage is defined as racial prejudice or cultural bias with an American society stemming from circumstances beyond an individual's control. Okay, so Annette, you know, one of the criticisms of the program in the past has been, well, geez, you know, a person can have a net worth of $850,000. They can have assets of, of up to $6.5 million. How is somebody like that disadvantage like you take say maybe a native person who grew up comfortably middle class and their parents are college educated and they've had a pretty good life how does that person argue that they're socially disadvantaged because that's that's the criticism that that some people will have of the program what's your thought when you hear people ask questions like that Annette 
I, I think at least for the tribal entities, we, we represent a whole community of people. And, and I think if you have proven that you have been negatively, negatively, well, for, first of all, I'm back to the tribal, tribal one is since we represent a whole community of people and future generations that, that we did prove our economic disadvantage. And I think it's laid out in the law about tribal unemployment rates, um, per capita of, uh, per, per capita income of tribal members when we first and percentage of local Indian populations that are living per, below poverty level. Um, we prove that, but sometimes these, these, this social disadvantage is so chronic and it, it, it really prevents you from getting into the business world and to lift up that it takes generations. It doesn't, it, it, it takes generations and multiple um, generations of families, individuals, and it takes years for tribal corporations to uplift entire people. But even let's say in your advantage, the individual one, um, so you get 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 that advantage. It it. It's still not competing with the big corporations that are billions and billions of dollars. And what I also say is the small business communities, small businesses throughout the U.S. are the largest drivers, are are a large driver of the American economy. Okay. And in small businesses, they will invest in rural Nebraska, or I say Nebraska, but rural rural areas. Just like Ho Chunk Inc., we're making a huge impact, not just in Winnebago but the surrounding rural areas where large businesses are concentrated in cities. So um, given that the U.S. government is the largest procurer of goods and services in the world, um, it is actually, um, it's, it's, it's important to our, our, our national security to have a large industrial base instead of just relying on these large conglomerate companies that would get if without a small business um, um, this 8a or in small business programs it would all go to large business and i don't think then that would have the same impact on the economies and okay. i think it would stop people moving out of poverty into the middle class because it would concentrate that that those dollars into people that are already wealthy Annette, thank you for that answer. And I'm going to take another caller now. We have Daryl, who is listening on KUYI in Hopi, Arizona. Hello, Daryl. Thanks for calling in today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the show today. You bet, Daryl. You bet. Uh, are you an 8A contractor? I am. I've been an 8A firm for about four years now, went through all the hoops, and could really identify with your first uh uh, host or first uh, individual who is a part of your show when they talk about the extreme burden of all the paperwork. That is so true. Mm -hmm. Well, geez, I mean, you hear about, I mean, is there a way to streamline that? I mean, obviously they want to make sure 
all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, right? Here, anytime you're dealing with federal dollars and federal contracts, there's going to be a paper trail. But do you think it's excessive? Could they maybe make it a little bit simpler? So let me just mention that um, our firm does professional services. Our firm's name is Melvin Consulting. We do um, work with owner's representatives. So we do civil engineering work. We also do management services, business plans. And then we work with community of practice individuals and nonprofits to be able to help move um, resources so that tribes and native people can manage and control those assets. And so when it comes to the nonprofit world and, and that segue between the Small Business Administration, we found it very difficult. And in fact, we have haven't had the success that your first caller had with a lot of the um, resources and the contracts. Okay. And so some of our suggestions and recommendations would be about understanding that not, and as Annette said, not all companies want to be following the corporate model. And in fact, in indigenous communities, we want to follow what we call a solopreneurship model or a one plus, plus model where we hmm. give dignity to uh, smaller businesses, to individuals really providing uh, a living and a lifestyle to their families to be able to stay in their home community, to be able to practice uh, their cultural teachings, and to really be a part of that fabric for developing indigenous learning and ways. And so that becomes important. And so for us, we find that the Small Business Administration has sort of this model of corporate America that bigger right. is better. And right. so we feel that 8A would benefit from really hiring and bringing more Native people into 8A to be able to administer and manage these programs so that when we do provide paperwork and we do meet the thresholds for creating 8A businesses, that it's meaningful to where we are, that these place-based um, small businesses really need to have that understanding by the federal government. All right. Daryl, let you know, me ask you this. Is your business based there on the reservation? We are based in our traditional homelands of Nubatukia Uvi, which is commonly known as Flagstaff, Arizona. But we have projects. All of our projects are indigenous lands. We're running a project on Hopi. We work with uh, uh, individuals that are you know, non-federally recognized tribes. And so most, if not all of our projects really are in tribal lands or traditional homelands. Okay. So obviously uh, you feel there could be some improvements to the 8A program. How about the application process? Did you find that burdensome or, or was it pretty easy to get certified? You know, we were in business before we applied for 8A, so we had a lot of the information. I mean, there are some basic things that I think you need to have uh, bookkeeping and they have spreadsheets and they have, have a, a history of how you manage employees and, and HR and all of that. So we were fortunate that we had that. But, you know, again, when, when they were talking, you were talking about a race-based program. I, I think that needs to be changed and we need to talk about tribal enrollment or, you know, an eth ethnicity focus. So even though we have tribal citizenship included in 8A, it should be more of the emphasis. And that would include uh, state-recognized tribes, and it really should include members from non-federally recognized tribes that went through the removal, particularly in, say, California. Okay. But 
part of it is understanding the history. If you look at 8A looking at ethnicity or tribal enrollment, we shouldn't have to have the burden of showing social or economic disadvantage because the whole system has been about extracting from native lands and native people. And so, again, if you have individuals in 8A who have native background or who are native people, that would help the federal government understand what information is truly important to, All right. to Darryl, build I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, businesses. We're running a little low on time, but I really appreciate you calling in. An, another great call and uh, really good insights there from a person who is an 8A contractor. That's Daryl listening in Hopi, Arizona. And Annette, I want to go back to you uh, as we begin to wind down the show, because earlier I asked Steph Poston, you know, the, the concern here is that right now it's increased documentation for individuals that want to apply, Native individuals that want to apply to the 8A program. But what if the 8A program goes away? What if there's a larger agenda here to retire that program? How big a blow is that going to be to Ho-Chunk, Inc.? How dependent is your corporation on these 8A contracts? And what will that mean for the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska as well? So, so <clears throat> throughout the history of Ho-Chunk, Inc., the U.S. government has, has, um, has, taken away opportunities for us and and um, closed certain of our businesses with the strike of a pin, uh, you know, writing different laws. I, I will say that um, what it, 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 if, if the U.S. government stopped, which is, which I said earlier, which is the largest procurer of goods and services, not just in the U.S., but in the world, um, I just don't see if this 8A program went away how it it would be detrimental to the entire economy if if this largest procurer of goods and services didn't didn't interact with small business now but they I would just i'm sorry but they would trend. just open it up to everybody though and, and then they just yeah. all small oh, businesses it, would compete so there would still be there would still be businesses out there to do the work it just wouldn't be based on these 80 and, requirements but yeah this program is absolutely essential to ho-chunk inc i okay. think um, like a lot of um, other tribes, the the Winnebago tribe had a very small casino. They invested in um, Ho Chunk Inc. and uh, a, a portfolio of stocks and bonds um, that was managed by a bank. And Ho Chunk Inc. has exponentially grown and created jobs on the reservation, created housing, home ownership, internships, increased education rates. And so I know that we have really worked on diversifying, and I think where a lot of tribes have started with big casinos and then diversified into government contracting, we're diversified into state gaming. Um, I do think because we've already been in the program, we have enough past performance that hopefully it would we would have it would be harmful to us in in a short run of how to navigate whatever new system they would do. But um, I would think with our passive performance that we would hopefully adapt and still continue in the government contracting because I can't see it completely getting eliminated from small business. But mm -hmm. it really has been the, the key way that we've earned profits to reinvest in our community, even to the point of 
of that, we, we took over agricultural lands and farming and brought back our traditional cultural of planting Indian corn and drying, drying that um, to help feed us during the winter and for um, cultural ceremonies. And so it's been instrumental to our change um, and to, to Ho-Chunk Inc. and the Winnebago tribe. So, um, and it is, it is something just like Stephanie that people and everyone needs to watch because it seems like it is a trend um, that keeps happening to attack programs that addresses um, ongoing and chronic prejudices. Right, and right. Um, and I Annette, think quick, this, quick, quick, yeah. quick question. Um, what percentage uh, of your contracts now there at Ho Chunking? What percentage of those are eight A contracts? And what are just open, regular, competitive contracts that you have to go up against everybody else to win? I'm just curious. Uh, so 80% of our contracts would be in the 8A. There is 8A competitive contracts also, um, but 80% of our contracts are in the 8A, 8A in, okay. Um, through the AA right. world, so okay. it is a substantial part of our business. Right, right. And uh, just real quickly, about how many jobs uh, have been created? How many employees? And how many different entities fall under this whole aegis of what we think of as Ho Chunk Inc.? Oh my goodness! So we have fourteen hundred and fifty employees all over the world because our employees with um, contracts they have to go wherever the government puts us, and we have employees all over the world. And um, what was your last question? Um, just, well, I, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up. But <laughs> just, okay. I was just curious, some of the other entities involved, I, I know it's a huge, huge operation. And unfortunately, we are out of time. But Annette, thank you again for joining us and providing all these insights there at Ho-Chunk Inc., as well as Steph Poston and the two great callers we had as well. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, everybody sharing their knowledge and experience with the SBA 8A program and its impact on Native entrepreneurs. And at this point, we are going to go ahead and wrap up. So listeners, please join us again tomorrow as we talk about suicide prevention and awareness in Native communities. Until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Do you want to start manage or grow your small business the u.s small business administration can help whether it's financial help education or a certification there are so many resources that any business can take advantage of and none of them cost anything get help from the sba do what i did and improve yourself and your business for your small business needs go to sba.gov start all sba programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.